You are listening to Sermon Audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more Sermon Audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Morning, church. As you just heard, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. Uh, if you want to turn there as a reference, we, we have Bibles on the end of each row. Uh, if you don't have one with you this morning, give, give someone on the end a, a stern look and they'll pass you one. Uh, if you don't have access to the Bible, by the way, we would love for you to grab one of those and take it home or even talk to one of our pastors and we'll make sure you have a good copy of God's Word physically that you have access to. But um, we will be in 1 Corinthians 15 today, the first 11 verses, uh, as, as, we, as we just heard read over us. But before we get to that, let me, let me give us um, something I need to explain, but then also let me give us a little bit of introduction to, uh, to, to our, just our series this month. So first off, Happy New Year. It's good to be here. Welcome to 2019. Ain't so bad so far, right? It feels, it feels strangely boring to be this far in the future. I think childhood me expected me to be preaching this sermon from a jetpack, but here we are. Here we are. Uh, anyway, glad you guys are here. Legitimately, I'm excited for this season. I don't know if you are a New Year's resolution sort of person or if you're one of those people that mercilessly mocks people who have New Year's resolutions. If that's you, if you're the second person, you're evil. That's so mean. (laughs) New Year's resolutions are so fun. Who cares that no one does them, right? Uh, But no, no, no. I mean that seriously. There's something, regardless of your opinion on that, there's something really refreshing about the idea of, of a season of time where it's culturally appropriate to set aside time and reflect on goals and growth and your person, where you've come in the last year, and where you're going in the new year. There's something I think that's really beautiful about that, and the fact that our culture invites us to do that, I think just makes it a little better. But in, in that kind of vein, pretty much every January, we take a few weeks as a church and set aside some time to reflect on what God has called us to, to reground ourselves in the mission, the vision, the calling of our church. And so that's what we're doing this month. We're taking three weeks, this Sunday, next Sunday, the next Sunday, and we're talking through what has God called us to as Red Tree Church. And so uh, we've titled this little short series, Simply Jesus, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a group of people whose lives are wrapped around the person of Jesus. And so this week we're going to talk about what it's like to have a life that is personally radically oriented around the person of Jesus. And then next week, Craig will talk about what it means to be covenantally connected to Jesus's family. And after that, Matt's going to talk to us about what it means to, to come together to pursue Jesus's mission. But ultimately, ultimately, all of that comes back to the person and work of Jesus. It starts with him, it involves him, it ends with him. It it all comes back to Jesus. And so we're going to start there today. We're going to talk about that. And I want to give you this phrase because I I want you to actually stew on this today. I want you to actually allow your heart to reflect 
on this idea that, that when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the Christian life, the life of the church, ultimately what we are saying is that there's a guy named Jesus and you should bend your entire life around him. So, so hear me when I say this, beloved. I think, I think God has something to speak to us today and it's this, wrap your life around Jesus. Beloved, wrap your life around Jesus. That is, that is a huge, huge ask. And yet it is not one you will regret. Wrap your life around this man, Jesus. There is, there is power and life and majesty in this man, Jesus. Wrap your life around him. So you heard the text. I'm going to reread it in just a second. But before I get to that, because I already jumped into the sermon because I'm stoked about it, I'm supposed to tell you what we're doing after this series. (laughs) Um, So we're spending this month talking about our mission, our calling as a church. The Sunday after that, so the last Sunday in January, January 27th, we're going to do a little something called Leadership Sunday. And we're, we're going to be back in Mark. We're going to have for the most part, a relatively normal gathering. But we're going to take some time to celebrate what God has done in raising up leadership and raising up future pastors and missionaries in our church. We, we talk about this a lot, but one of the things we are incredibly passionate about that is at the core of our DNA as a church is that we are going to continue raising up more pastors and more missionaries and planning churches and sending leaders. And to that end... The last Sunday in January, we're going to get to recognize some of what God has done in our church in raising up and calling leaders. So we're going to have five deacons to install. We've talked to you guys about that for a season, that we we asked you guys to nominate people from the body, and they've gone through several months of vetting and training with our elders. And we have five deacons who we're going to put them and their families in front of you guys to pray over them and install them and set them aside for that ministry of service. We've got Uh, an elder candidate who has been through a year-long vetting process. Most of you guys know Dan and Sarah Grunder, and they did their last interview with the elder board yesterday and have been approved, and we are presenting them to you as the body to say we, as the elders, believe that Dan is qualified and called to the ministry of the eldership, and we want you guys to affirm that. So between now and January 27th, if Dan secretly confessed any murders to you, you should let us know. Uh, and I'm serious about that, by the way. Is, 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 I, I said that jokingly, but, but, but I'm serious about that. We, we want you to know that we have approved Dan because if there is any, any hesitation in your heart of, of this man and his family taking on this role in our church, please, please, please let, let our elders know. So you'll get an email about this this week, but if you have any concerns about uh, your elder board uh, calling Dan Grunder to the eldership, or you just have encouragements that you want to speak over Dan and Sarah and their family in that ministry, let us know over the coming weeks. And as part of that, Leadership Sunday will be uh, installing Dan uh, into the eldership. And then we have a couple guys who have expressed a feeling of call to the ministry, and we're going to be licensing them to the ministry and celebrating that um, as well. I'm skipping something. I feel like there's something else we're doing. Oh, that's right. I knew it the whole time. We're going to be ordaining Pastor Craig McAlevey on Sunday the 27th. You can woot woot for that. If you don't know what ordination is, it's 
totally cool because it's really weird. But it's this way, it's this way for a church and an elder board to, to put their seal of approval of saying, this is a person who has called and qualified and faithfully served in the ministry, and we want to declare basically to the rest of the world that this person is a faithful vocational minister of the gospel. And so we're going to ordain Craig, and if you don't know how that works, Craig will actually have to sit in an ordination council of our elders as well as pastors in our association, and they will grill him uh, with doctrinal questions and then spend time praying over him. And so on that Leadership Sunday, when our gathering's over, we're going to release you guys. We're going to have a big lunch to celebrate what God's doing in our church. And while you guys are kind of getting ready with lunch, we're all going to take Craig in the back room and beat him up. And then we'll bring him out uh, to celebrate what God has done faithfully in raising up Craig and raising up the MacLevy family as ministers uh, who, who serve our church and serve the kingdom. So that's coming up at the end of this month, guys. I'm, I, I, I know that's like a weird thing. It's not a thing we talk about super often, but it's just so cool to see how faithful God has been in actually using our church as a catalyst to raise up and send people into the work of the ministry and on the mission field and planning churches and, and faithfully serving people. And so we're going to be celebrating that at the end of the month. Please, 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 please plan on being here and being a part of that and celebrating that. So that's that. Let's go back to where we are. We're, we're in this series. We're talking about our mission. And, and, and I know a lot of these phrases about, oh, what's Red Tree's mission and vision? These are things we say a lot, and they might become a little cliche to you guys. But, but zone in on this with me. I want us to actually think about this and reflect on it today. And so if you've been at Red Tree a while, you've heard the sentence I'm about to say before. But the mission of Red Tree Church is that we exist to glorify God through seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's not a new phrase. Unless you're like your first day visiting here, you're like, I've heard that one before. And, and we believe that that is best expressed, the thing that we're gifted and called to as a church. We express it through these three rhythms, right, of Jesus and family and mission. You guys have heard that one before? We talk about how a, radical, a life radically oriented around the person of Jesus and covenantally committed to the family of Jesus and going out together on the mission of Jesus, that these things will create a life transformed by the power of the gospel to the glory of God, right? That's kind of where those things come from. We, we talk about those a lot. And I know that for most of you, that language is at least somewhat familiar. And I want to encourage you to take that piece, and I want, to, I want to focus on one specific nuance of that over the course of this month, and that's simply this. The mission of Red Tree Church, glorify God, life transform, gospel of Jesus Christ, that is not something that is unique to us, right? I know you're going, wait, did we steal that from another church? No, 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 no. That is the call of the church to glorify God, to, to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The life, death, the resurrection, and ascension of Christ means something for people, and it changes lives. And according to Matthew 28, all of us have been called into that work, whether you're Red Tree Church or any other church on the planet, right? So we have grabbed a hold of that phrase and expressed it that way, but you could say it this way, we exist to glorify God by making disciples. Because what is a disciple besides a life that is being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Correct? And this is the call 
of all believers. Glorify God, make disciples. Glorify God, make disciples. It's why we exist. It's why every other church in our city exists. It's why every church that all of your family and friends who are believers go to exists. Glorify God and make disciples. And we talk about these three rhythms of our church, right? The things that we do together as a church. Jesus, family, mission. And this is the nuance I want you guys to grab a hold of and really meditate on this month, is that those are rhythms, and there you can see those three ideas represented in our programming, in our structure, in our culture as a church. But I want you to think of those three rhythms as actually the process that we use for discipleship as the process for how we move people along the path of discipleship towards their lives, following fully after the person of Jesus. Jesus' family mission. If, if, and think of it this way with me. If, if a person who is dead in their sins and transgressions is awakened to the grace of God by the power of the Spirit, and they see and realize fully in their heart that there is something about this man Jesus that actually rings true with the cries of their heart, right? If they begin to be awakened to the truth of the person and work of Jesus, that person will begin to radically orient and wrap their lives around Jesus. And I I want you to come back to that phrase. They allow their lives to be molded and formed in in, in the way of Jesus. If, If a person is legitimately, actually in their heart of hearts, brought to the truth of the person and work of Jesus, they will begin to mold their lives around him. And if you mold your life around the person and work of Jesus, you will unavoidably begin to connect and interact with Jesus' family. You just will. If you are spending your time where Jesus is spending his time, you're going to be with his family, the church. You're going to be with the bride. You're going to begin to connect to the bride. You're going to increase in covenantal relationship. We see this through all sorts of expressions, things like baptism and public profession of faith and membership in a church and involvement in things like small group and gospel community and worship gatherings. As you begin to wrap your life around Jesus, it will never be private, it's personal. But it will never be private. You will begin to connect and weave your heart together with the people that Jesus has connected and woven his heart with. You will begin to passionately love the people that Jesus passionately loves. If you wrap your life around the person of Jesus, you will unavoidably increase in covenant and relationship with Jesus' family. And if you begin to increase, this is like if you give a mouse a cookie, but gospel style. If you increase in, like all the parents of toddlers in the room were like, yep, absolutely. That's a children's book. We could write that. Red Tree's kids book. Sorry. (laughs) If you increase in covenantal relationship with the family of Jesus, 
If you continue to connect your heart and weave yourself together with the other people for for whom have, have wrapped their lives around Jesus, as you grow in that covenantal relationship, you will collectively begin to labor for Jesus' mission. You will. You will. It's unavoidable. If you are wrapping your life around Jesus and you are interweaning your heart with Jesus' family, then you will begin to grow in desire to be with Jesus, to do what Jesus does. Beloved, if you want to be with Jesus and do what he does, he's out laboring for the kingdom. He's out seeking lost hearts that may be found and dead souls that may be revived. And so if you do that work, you will unavoidably get there. As the Spirit moves in you and draws you to new life and new revelation, as He draws you deeper into grace, there is, there is a process that you can, you can see people move along this. Now, really quick, I'm not trying to be black and white or legalistic about this. God is God, and He's sovereign, and He will do what He will, and He may intervene and move in, in other ways and all sorts of things, but, but you guys follow me on this, right? You see this, that as someone falls more in love with Jesus, they'll fall more in love with his family, and as they fall more in love with his family, they will labor for his mission. It's, it's a progression that's pretty easily identifiable in Scripture and in the life of the church, right? So I want you to think about our calling, our mission as a church in that regard, that we are we are seeking to glorify God by making disciples. And God has given us a pretty clear and beautiful process for discipleship. That as you think about it, you can, if you have enough self-awareness, you can place yourself in that process, right? You can look at your own affection for Christ and see how it has affected other areas of your life. You can look at your own covenantal love for the bride of Christ and see how it is affected. You can, you can see yourself in that process, and knowing the process not only allows you to move forward in maturity of pursuing what is next for you in growth, but it also allows you to sharpen and encourage and disciple your brothers and sisters as you begin to see where they are in the process and you help push them and encourage them to what God has next for them. And it also allows you together collectively to invite more people into that process that they might find the same life and freedom in Christ that you are growing in right now. Right? So again... This is not the end-all, be-all of Christianity or how it works, but I think it will be fruitful for us to meditate on this process for a few weeks. And so this week, we're starting with this idea of a life that is bent around Jesus. And I mean this when I say, if you've been a believer for 55 years, or you're still trying to figure out if you think this thing is true, I believe the Spirit has the same message for all of us today. Beloved, wrap your life around Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I, I grew up in the church. I, had a wonder, I have a wonderful, wonderful family. 
I have parents who are really convicted about the idea of raising us up in the Lord and teaching us the gospel from a young age. I, I was like the church brat kid who grew up in youth group and, and made some of my best friends as a teenager in that, all those different things. And yet, culturally and personality-wise, I have never really felt at home in kind of the conservative evangelical subculture. And if you're friends with me, you kind of know this already because I love to dig on like Joy FM and things like that. And some of you are like, that is blasphemous. <laughs> and it's just, it's just true. Like there's just something about the way God has wired me that some of that stuff, some of that stuff's just cheesy to me. And it's just hard for me to connect to, right? And yet, and yet, when I reflect on the person of Jesus, and I think about the way that he has sought me faithfully, that he has fought for me in the midst of my own rebellion, in the way that he has paid the price to have me, the person of Jesus working in my life so supersedes any cultural connection to the church or to the faith that those things become laughable. Of course, who cares if I think Joy FM is cheesy? We both have Jesus. Beloved, I want to encourage you that it starts there. It starts with this Middle Eastern guy who lived 2,000 years ago on the other side of the planet. Like an actual dude who lived and had favorite foods and favorite songs. Actual guy who somehow is also the sovereign ruling Lord of the universe. Who was a guy who walked around and had friends and was annoyed by things. And yet he knows the depths of your soul. He knows the inmost parts of your being. He formed you in your mother's womb. A guy who literally like, had to be places at times, who worked a job, who had a schedule, who's probably late to something sometime. Right? A guy. And yet, he knows the atoms. And he tells them to continue to bind together. He, he designed the subatomic particles within you and he designed black holes. And moment by moment, he sustains their existence at the pleasure of his will. A dude who's also the God of the universe. I have to start there. Which is why we have our text today in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I'm going to reread it for us. Luke did a great job. I shouldn't read anymore because he is way better at it. I'm going to reread this for us, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to talk for just a minute. This is 1 Corinthians 15, starting in the first chapter. We hear this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, that He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach And so you believe. And this is the word of the Lord. The letter to the Corinthians is a really, really interesting read. It's to put us in some context here. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, He started, uh, helped plant this church in Corinth. You can read about it in Acts, what is it, 18, I think. Yeah. You can read about it in Acts 18. He helped plant this church. And he's writing a letter to it later uh, because he, he receives word from them of questions and concerns they have. And he also receives word about how insanely dysfunctional and unhealthy this church is. So he writes them this letter, 1 Corinthians, and he rips this church asunder. If you go back and read it, Paul rips into them for their sin and their immaturity. He, he basically just says, what the heck is your problem? I leave for two years, and you guys go to pot. I don't know how long you've actually been gone. But you get what I'm saying. He, he hears distressing news about this church and receives some of their questions and concerns by letter, and he sends this back, and it's a really strong rebuke. For, for pretty much the whole letter up until this point, Paul is just going point by point saying, this is why you're wrong. This is why you're immature. You need to repent here. You need to excommunicate this person. You need to deal with this. Just boom, 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 boom. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he gets to the heart of the matter. He he cuts to the quick and just says, ultimately, what we're talking about here is that you have moved past the gospel I preached to you, and that's unacceptable. You already heard the gospel. I preached it to you. You heard it. You know it. You believed it. Go back to that. And it comes back to one of the questions they had sent him was, so was there really such a thing as resurrection? Because that sounds crazy. Right? Which, by the way, that's a totally valid question. It definitely sounds crazy. Right? Which, this is, this is a total side note, but I have to tell you guys this. Paul spends his whole letter ripping them apart, and then in this chapter, he gets to the heart of the issue, and he tells them they've moved past the gospel, and then right after this, he's like, by the way, let's talk about how much money you're giving, and he asks them to give more money, which is just like super intense, like, dang, Paul, that's bold, uh, but next week, Craig is going, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but he gets to the heart of the issue here, and he says, you have forgotten the gospel I preached to you. You're asking if the resurrection is real? Really? That's your question? Do you remember what I taught you? And then he refreshes it here, and he says, let me remind you, 
of the gospel that I preached to you, the good news that I gave you, the teaching upon which you built this entire church. And that's that Jesus Christ of Nazareth died in accordance with the scriptures, rose again, was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and appeared to many witnesses, myself included. That's the gospel. You're going to ask me if the resurrection's real? Did you hear what I said in the first part? Jesus died and rose again. That's the whole message. If you take the resurrection part out of that, my message is Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures, the end. And so he says, this is, this is ludicrous. You need, to, you need to hear Paul's rebuke when you read 1 Corinthians. It's easy to read uh, the books of the New Testament and kind of put like your Shakespeare voice, your narrator voice in your head, and you read them as these really, and like Paul has an English accent, you know? That's not how this is going down. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is upset. And he is rebuking this church because he is concerned for them. Because he sees the blasphemy and heresy and immaturity and division that is working through this church and poisoning it and destroying it. And he uses this phrase, I I want you to hear this. I'm going to reread verse 1 and 2. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's looking at this church going, I'm not sure if this whole thing has just been a waste, and your hearts aren't dead in your transgressions still, and you have tricked yourselves into thinking you have life when you don't. That's heavy. And so Paul says, let me remind you. Let me remind you of the gospel. Christ died in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to many witnesses, myself included. The end. That's the message. Beloved, I don't know if you hear this. But the message of the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. A guy who lived in Palestine in the first century. That's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's it's this guy who did these things. And God was in that doing something new. And that's the message. The person, the work of Jesus. Beloved, wrap your lives around Jesus. This is what Paul is sharing here. He's saying the whole thing, all these questions you're asking, all this, all the all of it comes back to Jesus. I told you about him. He lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he appeared to many witnesses, myself included. Don't you remember? That's the message. Let us us sit with that for a moment. Because what Paul is telling us here, what Paul is showing us when the entire book of 1 Corinthians, by the way, is that you never get past this message. 
There's no point where, where you have enough Sunday school knowledge and you've understood the historicity of Jesus and you've read Case for Christ and you went to youth group and you've been faithfully attending your GC and now you're like, good, I figured out Jesus, what's next? I guess I'll pick up a systematic theology textbook. It's not how it works. It's about Jesus. And if you want to go study systematic theology, awesome, do it. It's cool. It's super boring and wonderful all at the same time. And some of you have brains for it, and you should be studying it. But let me tell you something. A thousand-page textbook with a million chapters and footnotes that will make you go blind, that book's about Jesus. And that's it. It's a bunch of academic guys and girls who've been to school for a long time and know a lot of stuff, and they said, hey, let's write a really long book about Jesus. And they got someone to publish it. That's it. Beloved, it's, you, don't, you don't move past this. It's, it's all about him. I want, you to, I want you to think about this for a second. The hope of the gospel, the message of of the gospel is that this life is not all there is. And I know that even as I say that, right, there's this, there's this weird thing that's going on in a lot of our brains as church people where we're like, yes, I know that. It's, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about heaven, all those things. That's awesome. And you're, you're mentally assenting to that. And yet if we sat down and categorized your life, it would become very clear that your life is not all about Jesus. And pretty much all of us fall into that trap. Pretty much all of us. I don't say that to be harsh or to be mean or to be accusational. I say that to be confessional. Guys, you pay me to be a good Christian. And my life is not all about Jesus. This is true for us. We know that truth in our head. But if we're honest, this world and this life for us is pretty awesome. Even those of us who have hard lives and challenges and illnesses and weaknesses and failures and all those things, if we're honest, our life's pretty awesome. We have houses and cars and Netflix and friends and family and smartphones. Our lives are pretty cool. And they can easily become our main focus. How could they not? You wake up every morning and all of this stuff is in front of you all the time. And something in your head says, yeah, it's all about Jesus. But then you have to go to work and you have to actually do what your boss says. And you actually have to turn in your reports. And you actually have to answer those emails. And you actually have to return that call to your cousin. And you actually, you actually have to do all these things day by day by day. And it's so easy for that to become the entirety of your life. Because for us right now in the modern world in the West, most of that stuff is pretty awesome awesome. In comparison to the human experience in most of the world and for most of history, we're doing pretty good, right? A lot of us have families and children and friends and good jobs and enough money to eat out every now and then, and we at least have a friend's network's Netflix password. There's probably like three accounts for our whole church. 
It's so easy. It's so easy and so natural for your life to be about this life. But beloved, I have something hard to tell you. Your life is nothing. Your life is fleeting. Your deepest passions amount to nothing but ash. And I mean that. That's a hard truth to think about, but I want you to sit in this with me for a moment. There will come a real point in history where someone will think about you. They'll think something fond about you or some memory of you, and that will be the last time in human history anyone ever thinks of you. And all of your passions and all of your works and all of your accomplishments and all of your love and all of your life will exist only in the heart and mind of Jesus who made you and sustained you. Your life is a vapor. What was your great, great, great grandpa like? We don't know. You might know his name. There might be some like weird Civil War black and white photo in like your grandma's living room. But you don't know him. You don't think about him. I mean, he had a life. And passions, and hobbies, and opinions, friends, and family. And it has amounted to nothing but ash. This is the fleeting nature of human life. And yet something in your heart rebels against that, right? Even as we express that and talk about that, something in your soul goes, that is not how it should be. My great-great-great-grandpa should be remembered. So should I. So should my children. So should my friends. Something in your heart looks at the fleeting seemingly purposeless nature of human life and says, that is not how it should be. Beloved, you're right. It's not how it should be. And the the promise of the gospel is that that is not how it is. Because there was a guy named Jesus who lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. And after he died and was buried, he rose again. And he appeared to many witnesses, including Paul. He actually did. It happened. That that, that thing that seems to loom over all of humanity and have power and authority over all of us, death and meaninglessness, crashed against the wall that is the person of Jesus, and it failed. Beloved, Jesus conquered death. He conquered it. He rose again. And he ascended on high to the right hand of God where he stands in glorious victory and authority over life and death. In your life, right now, your passions and hobbies and sorrows and successes and failures, that is not all of you. The ashes that are your deepest loves 
will not fade into oblivion because you are made in the image of this God. And He loves you. And He has pursued you. And He lived this life and died this death and rose this resurrection and ascended to this heaven in pursuit of you. That you might have life eternal with Him. Life abundant with Him. That you might have life with Jesus. Perfect life with Jesus. No sickness, no illness, no hurt, no suffering, no failure. Perfect, abundant, eternal life with this Jesus and with his family. Life together with Jesus. You were made for this. You were built for this. God stamped his image in your soul for this. It's why you exist. It's why he made you. It's why why he loves you. You're his. Beloved, this is the promise of the person and work of Jesus. Beloved, wrap your lives around this Jesus. There was a counter-Reformation Catholic theologian named Teresa of Avila. She's not that great. She's pretty crazy in a lot of ways. But she has this line that's so good. It's so good. I actually think I tweeted it this week. She says, The first moment in the arms of Jesus, the first moment in heaven is going to make a thousand years of misery on earth look like one night in a bad hotel. Beloved, this life amounts to very little. And some of you are wonderful, amazing people, by the way, with awesome passions and deep loves who are doing important things. And yet, this life will amount to very little in light of eternity with Jesus. Eternity. How many trillions of years do you think you will live in abject, perfect, complete, abundant joy with your maker and savior and lover before you look back on your 85 years here and go, huh, that wasn't that big a deal. I thought it was like super important back then. It seemed like everything. I woke up every morning and just thought, this is it. I've got to put everything into this life. How many millions, billions, trillions of perfect, amazing days will you spend with Jesus before you look back and you go, that was kind of dumb. I can't believe how important I thought my comfort was. How important I thought being understood was or being successful or or having this kind of family or making this much money or doing this kind of job or, or finding this. I can't believe how important I thought that stuff was. Beloved, you were made for Jesus. And I got to tell you something. Everything you do 
is about him. It's about him. An actual guy. How crazy is that? Like, do you hear what I'm saying? An actual dude who actually lived and actually died and then actually rose from the dead by the power of God and actually ascended into heaven and it actually lives in real, eternal, resurrected victory. Literally. A dude. Everything in your life revolves around him. Beloved, wrap your lives around Jesus. Wrap your lives around Jesus. He is everything. I want to I want to bring us to an end here with one of my favorite texts from Colossians. This is a different letter Paul wrote to a different church that he wasn't quite as mad at. And you can turn here. I'd like you all to to look at this with me. This is Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in the middle of a thought because Paul has like eight paragraph thoughts. In Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in the 11th verse, where it says this, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood on the cross, beloved. Wrap your lives around Jesus. He is preeminent. His blood has made a way to reconcile all things, to fix everything that is broken. This is a dumb thought, but I need you to follow me with it. I've had several people, and you might even be thinking this, where it's like, well, why is it, why is it about Jesus? Isn't it about God? Didn't, didn't God the Father like do the work and set up the plan and those things? Um, and that's an interesting thought, and it's almost a distracting thought, but, but I think it's actually important for us. You see, we, we're Trinitarians. <laughs> yes, it's all about God. But God the Father is Jesus the Son, and Jesus the Son is God the Father, and Jesus the Son is God the Spirit. They're, they're one. But there is an important nuance to the person of Christ. 
That's why we, we use this language. In Exodus 33, God the Father says something really interesting to Moses. He says, if you see my face, you'll die. It's pretty intense. <laughs> no one can see me and live. There's something about the holiness, the radiance, the power, the perfection of God that makes him unavoidably other from a fallen and sinful creation. You see, we are affected by the curse. We're affected by sin. And because of that, we are irreparably disconnected from the God who made us and loves us and pursues us. How can you do life together forever with God if looking at him kills you? Right? But Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You see, Jesus isn't just this disconnected, all-powerful spirit or voice that talks out of a bush. Jesus was a dude who had thoughts and opinions, who could give hugs, who could cry, who sung songs. Jesus made the invisible, unapproachable God as present and as near as your best friend. Jesus made the unknowable God knowable. He put skin and bones on God. And he stepped into the sinful, broken mess and said, you can't come to me, so I'll come to you. Beloved, Jesus is God with us. So yes, we're going to focus on him. We're going to focus on him because he makes a way for you to know the triune God of the universe. He makes a way for you to be connected to the triune God of the universe. You know, I think sometimes in the church we put an overemphasis on God the Father on some level inherently because he is unknowable. And so we can hide in intellectualism and write theology and we can focus on the glory and holiness of God while keeping ourselves at a distance from him. And I think some of us put an overemphasis on the indwelling person of the Spirit because he's so experiential that we can hide in our emotionalism and we can feel God and still keep him at arm's length. But beloved, you can't do that with Jesus. You can't get away from him. He's a dude who actually lived and actually hung out an actual person that, that requires engagement on an intellectual and an emotional and a physical level. That requires your whole person, as Jesus himself said, to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're going to wrap yourself around Jesus, you're going to think new things, you're going to feel new things, and you're going to do new things. Your whole person must be involved. So yeah, I'm going to say let's focus on Jesus. 
And maybe 50 years from now, theologians will talk about how wrong I was. I don't think I'm important enough to get an article, but maybe. But we're going to do that. We're going to actually say together as a church, as a family, it is about Jesus and nothing else. Beloved, wrap your lives around Jesus. He is God made known to you. Your lover, your creator, your sustainer, your savior, your dearest friend. He is knowable, present, and in front of you. Beloved, wrap your lives around Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Simply Jesus. God, you are so good to us. You are good to us beyond what we can imagine. God, there are so many noises and voices clamoring for our attention, even as we sit in this room, God. I pray that those things would appear as petty as they are as we look upon you. God, as we take a few moments to pray to you, to sing to you, to partake of your body broken for us and your blood poured out for us and to to thank you and worship you for the new covenant made in your blood. God, we ask that your presence, your person, your life, your work would be so weighty on us that our little lives would be put in perspective. And God, even if it's just for a few minutes while we're sitting with friends and family and praying, God, we ask that you would give us clear eyes to see you. Clear eyes to see the world around us. And that we would wrap our lives around you. Jesus, we love you. We're really bad at loving you, but we love you. So we pray these things in your name with expectancy. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.